You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 146 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I am thrilled today to be joined by my good friend and longtime engineer, Harold Rubens. Harold, how are you today? Hey, man. Great seeing you. Great you too, seeing man. you. It's uh it's a pleasure to be on there. It's actually quite an honor to be on here. I've uh, oh, you. been following you guys for a long time, and I think every time I get to see you guys, I, hopefully I can pass along how proud I am of uh, just having friends that are just have, you know, kind of put their heads together and say, how do we make things better? What, what's our part? And, you know, and, and actually yeah. taking action to do that, and you guys did that, and uh known you guys for a very long time, and uh, just super excited to so anyways, at least spend a little bit of time with you guys here. So Yeah, I love it. So for people who don't know you from other than maybe a post on Facebook or some <laughs> of the forums or whatever, what's uh, just give us a little bit of history, a little bit of background, how you got started, and you know, just a little bit about your life. Oh, man. Gosh. Okay. Well, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I uh, got here about 10 years ago, and... Uh, before that I was in Houston, Texas. Um, and my roots actually before that is, uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires, Argentina. So, um, so I am, uh, right now, I don't, you know, I don't know when this will air, but I'm sure it'll be within 20. We just recently won the world cup. And, uh, if anybody, I saw you the day before the world the cup. The day before. Yeah, that's right. You came out to a show and I, I remember that now. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I am, uh, Proud Argentinian, uh, yeah. but then diehard, uh, diehard Argentinian football fan. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Oh, I got it. I, I just got this, and it finally came in. My uh, Messi oh, three star official, jersey with official the official Messi patch, jersey. the world champion patch. Yep, there it is. Yeah, so that's anyways, awesome. Uh, uh, anyways, but yeah, I'm super excited about that. But man, um, as far as background, she's um, uh, gosh, um, I, I would say that. Um, I got the bug at about 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. Um, it was at a, it was at a Michael Jackson concert. <laughs> it was the victory tour. And wow. uh, I went there and obviously it was all about Michael and all that, but something I was in a position in the, uh, it was at the Astrodome and it was something that I saw in this Island of blowing gear in the middle of all these people. And I kind of asked a question, I wonder what's happening down there. And, uh, after the show went down there and I looked around, I was a, you know, this wide eyed kid and, uh, you know, I know now who it was. I didn't know who it was then who I was talking to. Um, it was a guy named ML pro size from the LA company Shoko. Uh, but they, uh, but the point was, it's not what important what he said is what he didn't, what he didn't do, which was he didn't shoo me away. He didn't like get away mm-hmm. from here, kid. He didn't do that. He took a time to answer some questions and, and and what I know is that that transpired into me showing up at church later that week and yeah. recognizing a sound console. It wasn't ever in my radar. It was people that controlled sound or did anything tech back in this would have been in 80, 84, 83, 84, somewhere in there. But that wasn't in my radar. And I went to church and I started recognizing a somebody that controlled sound and and did that kind of stuff and it drew me and it really did when i say drew me something just kind of oh i want i want to go i want to find out more and uh 
And then, you know, in church, I asked, how do I, you know, I gravitated to that area. I talked to somebody and then I got involved and very early on. And, um, and that's the early days. That's, that's how I kind of got the bug and then, you know, got involved. And it was a, it was a large church. Everything in Texas is large. We were in Texas there. So it was, uh, um, I got involved early on in youth group, um, you know, started, it made sense to me running speakers and cables. And at that time I was helping, that made sense to me. And I found myself behind the board. And back then it was those PV consoles with the spring, spring reverbs and, you know, oh, yeah. learned. Yeah. Then we all have to run into those. <laughs> Carefully if you <laughs> ran into them, because uh, you would get the the thunder, you know, whatever the reverb, but, um, yeah, you might not, once you get in there, you might not get out. If you're you not might careful. not get out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be on there. But the, uh, man, the story, I mean, it's the story you hear a kid, young kid gets the bug and, 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 and starts working in youth group and makes his way through big church. And, and one thing leads to another and the church would do these big pageants and, you know, and then you start, you know, you're, you find yourself, I mean, I didn't know this then, but now you look back and you go, man, I was probably 18, 19, 20 years old running an entire orchestra and choir and headset mics and, or not yeah. even that. It was, uh, Lob mics probably. Yeah. dealing with BHF back then, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and you, and you went on and then I went to school and, you know, the schools back then weren't what schools are now. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to do something in sound. I knew that I, but there wasn't the opportunities that are that are available now for for p- young people that are wanting to get involved, and there wasn't that. So I found uh, a- an art institute of Houston that had a studio, and they had some music video business classes, and 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 it had some studios. And I went there, and and you know what? I learned I learned a lot there. I learned they had hands on stuff. Part of that part of that program to graduate there was um, you had to have an in- get an internship in the field and friend of mine had a connection to a studio I um, and I went to go intern there and it was a prominent studio in Houston. And man, I got to be a fly on the wall and some, I mean, some great records um, and then got to engineer there and kind of cut my teeth in, 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 in the studio first. You know, I knew that I wanted to do sound, but it was in the studio first. And so the idea of placing a microphone in the correct place and going back out and changing it and, and, yeah. and and maybe that's not the correct microphone and may, let's try this and combining sources and all that kind of stuff. I, I got to witness it and then I got to put it into practice and, and then, um, uh, graduated, uh, there had a stint in, in major market radio stations. And I, and because I knew technology, I worked a lot on the broadcasting side of things and, um, you know, uh, did that. I worked in clubs for a while. Um, it, when I tell my story, when I go back, I guess I'm old enough and I go, Jeff, you're probably similar in this. Your kind of story starting to sound like a little bit like Forrest Gump, you know, well, I did this and I did that <laughs> and did this. And then I ran here and I did this and, yeah. and you find yourself cause we're kind of old enough that we can pile on some of these experiences. And, but you know, it's a culmination of all that stuff that got us to, to, be at the place where we where, where wherever it is that we are now are the places that we find ourselves you know we bring all yeah, that totally with it's funny you and i have a very similar story in terms of the sort of you mentioned you know when you when you saw the michael jackson show you were drawn to it like there is a there is a magnetic kind of appeal you know, yeah literally drawn to what is what is the deal making this all happen like this is awesome and then 
starting out in church and then the studio thing. And I think one of the things that I tell people about the studio days for me, and maybe you'll agree with this, is you know, there was something about having the luxury of time in the studio to be mm. able to really experiment, to be able to know like, okay, what is this knob on this compressor actually doing? Yeah. What is this EQ actually, like when I, when I take this EQ and add 3 dB at 10K, it sounds different from this EQ when I add 3 dB at 10K. So what are those differences and how can I use those nuances to shape the sound in a different way? And, you know, you had, it wasn't so much just flying by the seat of your pants, loading real quick, get wedges going and do a show. It was, I think the studio thing for me laid a foundation for having the ability to really kind of gain an understanding at the fundamental level of why. And mm -hmm. I think that for me has yeah. really helped. It's really helped my career in live sound because it it gave me such a good footing, you know, to to move forward from. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of young people today who don't have the luxury of that and they you know, they think, well, I'll just load my show file from my jump drive and it'll all be good. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a little bit of a danger in that. You just said that word, why? And um, man, it, it resonates. It resonates deeply because I do remember back in those days, the, 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 uh, the professor that I would call him, professor, whatever, the teacher there the, at the, um, at the, in the studios, he would have this, he would, he would, um, we would do this thing where like, um, uh, the, the one great thing about that place is they had a Trident console. So they had great gear at the studio and it was this Trident console. We had tape machines and we had um, great mic, good mics. And it, it, it was a whole lot more than whatever I could do at this time. So to be able to access that stuff was great. But one, one uh, thing that he, he would do is um, in our class was probably maybe 12, 15 people. And yeah. we would go through this and we would all be in this control room and so he said, okay, Harold, you know, go ahead and get, in, get your turn, get on the console. And he would roll, he would, you wouldn't know where, you know, uh, we would zero the console out and he would say, okay, here comes the tape. And he would roll and he said, okay, you got. And he's just playing a random song. Anything. You don't, you, you don't know what's coming up. It's not, you don't know. Right. And so he just yeah. plays a song at anywhere in the song and he says, okay, just build a mix. And, he, and it's going. But the point wasn't the outcome with the, what, what it was is that you would get going and you know you would you would you would reach for gain you would you would do all these different things, and at any point you never knew when he was going to do it. He would go stop, and he'd go, "What are you doing?" And I was like, uh, I, "I'm I'm EQing the, you know, the guitar," and he'd go, "Why?" And you'd huh. go, um, "Um, or first of all, he would ask you, "What do you what do you what do you have your hands on?" And I was like, "Well, it's the mid band of the." Equalizer. Okay. What do you, what do you, what do you, well, I'm EQ in the guitar. Why? And the point of this exercise was that, that mixing wasn't about just turning knobs just to, for whatever. It was purposeful. There was a purpose behind everything that you were doing. And so like, and maybe you didn't know, and it, it really, what his thing was that he wanted you to say something to the extent of, I, I don't like this about it. Right. And I want to fix that. And I think it's in this area. And as the class went on and you got better, the, that broad answer got a little bit more focused. Mm -hmm. Hopefully by the end of the semester or maybe hopefully later by the end of the class or later in, in your 
school and career there, you would be able to go, hey, you know what? Uh, 3K was really poking out, and so I wanted to reach for that EQ to take it out. But maybe that the answer didn't start that way. Maybe you know a year earlier it was like, it sounds so harsh, and you would right. just use an adjective, and you're like, and I'm just trying, and maybe I don't know, but I think it's in this area. Because that's how we all, right? But there, but the point of it was that there was a why. And I love that you use that word because um, early on I learned that. And, you know, I think comparatively to, to, to these days where we have a lot of th- ways to fix things, back then our ways of fixing things, we, we didn't have a lot of that stuff. We didn't, right. you know, a lot of these toys. And, and so we were more consumed with getting it right at the beginning, right? So if it's, if it's, harsh okay do we readjust the microphone or do we maybe it's a different microphone maybe it's uh you know maybe it's the instrument sound itself you know maybe it's those things because the commitment where you had to make the commitment was a whole lot earlier in the process back then you know and so you had to figure out the why a lot earlier that's a yeah there wasn't there wasn't so much the idea of oh we'll just fix it later we'll just record everything just you know unprocessed and dry and then we'll just fix it in 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 post it's like no, you had to you had to record it right. Like I remember, you know, recording with EQ and compression, like recording to tape those settings. It wasn't it wasn't that we were just relying on EQ and compression in the mix phase. Right. You had to you had to get the tone right when it's going to tape. Correct. The other thing that most people who listen to this won't understand is the idea of editing. You know, back in those days, I mean, my first my first cut and paste was literally with a razor blade and a piece of tape. Oh yeah. When you cut, when you cut, you're cutting. <laughs> I remember the first time I was, uh, uh, I was a second engineer in a session and, uh, they were in, they were in the, they were mixing the record and, um, uh, it's kind of in the background. I was, you know, so back then the, uh, you know, the second engineer was the guy that walked in earlier and aligned the tape machine, you know, and, right. And, you know, and, and you had to like, okay, are we aligning the plus six or plus nine or, you know, and how to get Dolby noise reduction down and make sure that all, all the stuff that just, yep. we our, do not even, it's funny, not even yeah. our vocabulary now, you know. Not but even it, a thing now. But no, yeah, I remember but, our, our machine at the studio where I was, was a Otari MX80 okay. 24 track. And yep. we aligned it at plus six at 250. And that was so, just, that'll always stick in my head. So if you were using plus six, you were probably using like what, like Ampex four fifty six tape, or yeah, exactly. You could four fifty six and four ninety nine. Well, if you went to four ninety nine, you could hit it harder. You could hit, you could hit that. You could get to plus nine. And for for some of you guys that are listening, the harder you would hit tape, it would be like turning these days. Like you got that little fancy knobs of saturation. And, you know, you get to like right. turn up. It's like the drive. You yep, get to hit tape your compression, cert- man. Tape compression. You get to hit your tape harder because it because at plus nine. Um, and really what plus nine and plus six means just mean that plus nine was actually zero or you would put zero, but it's actually that you were sending plus nine signal to it. So anyways, the tricks that we did back then when we had, but yeah, so, yeah, but I was get the second. occasional, get the occasional red light on the snare, the transients and stuff, but you didn't want to hit it too hard, but you had to find that magic, that magic yeah. sweet spot. That's and funny, the, man. The things that, to think back at those times, but you know what, again, it, um, that, that um where where today it might be a, a just a click of a button or it might be it to be a a, a a you know a little slider or a little knob on a screen you know like i'm i consider myself fortunate that i could go okay i understand what it actually what that translates to what what it actually was doing you know again it goes um, back to the why it does it does um, cuz if you got it wrong 
you knew it right away and it was permanent. Like there was no undo. Well, you know? so you had to, you had to back, experiment to, to, to know what yeah. is, what is this doing it wrong? So when like. you said earlier about editing, I remember the first time I was, uh, they were in the mixing phase and then the producer says, man, I, we should not have, we should not have doubled the chorus. We need to drop back into the tag there. And he says, oh, man, what? And the engineer goes, um, well, well, we'll just, we can just edit that. We can just cut the chorus out. Oof. So we're talking about cutting the chorus on a 24 track tape, like, and, and it's, you know, and so, and he, and he looked at me and he goes, um, that was the first time I had done it. And he, and, and he said, uh, I had edited four track and, and, and quarter inch and tape and all the, all day long. And, you know, just cutting tape all day long, especially when I worked in radio. We had to do that. That's the way we cut all our splice. We spliced everything together. Yeah. And then he uh, he said uh, he said that, and he says, "Harold, can you just go up there and just you, can you, can you grab that? And just, let's just cut the cut the chorus." But then he goes and he goes, "But just save it." And what's what's saving that clip means you literally tape it to the tape machine, just hanging the tape from and the, on tape the tape machine. You wrote yeah. you wrote you know chorus two or something like that, and you hung you hung it on the uh, on the tape machine. But you you literally means. Here it comes it, the tape is two inches thick, and then you would cut with a razor blade, and and you have to find and rock back and forth until that you know, and make sure you're cutting on the on the playhead that you're listening to. And oh my gosh, to think we could, there was no Apple Z back then. There was no you know undo like oh I, that that edit didn't work. Apple Z didn't do it over again. Like nope, that you got no, one didn't shot. didn't exist. Yeah, gosh. one shot. That was a lot of tape too. I mean, for a chorus, because the chorus is probably what. 25 30 seconds long so at 30 inches per second that's a lot of tape you're having to go through that's oh, crazy man the things that we have to deal with <laughs> there's so many things that i'm glad we have the conveniences for not doing that anymore but there's so much that i'm grateful for yeah. in the way we had to learn because it really involved one a sense of curiosity yeah two a sense of really needing to focus and dig in and understand the why like the guys who the guys who went through that and and had some level of success and were able to move on and make a career of it are the guys who had some of those things in common, right? There's there's curiosity, there's hard work, there's tenacity, mm -hmm. there's you know being being willing to be an A two and take out the trash while you're figuring out how to adjust the ta the tape heads and clean the tape heads and go get lunch and all the things that seemed like menial tasks at the time. But if you were, if you were paying attention, whether it was to a conversation or to what's coming mm -hmm. through the monitors and you're really listening and you're working with the engineer to place those mics in the right place. I mean, the, it was just a gold mine of learning opportunity. Yeah. And I, I wonder, you know, and this is something that we care about a ton at MXU. It's like, how do we, how do we make, the local church an environment for that to be able to happen like how can mm. we encourage production leaders to create that kind of space for their volunteers especially young people like if there's a kid in your student ministry who's excited and shows an aptitude for this how can we open the floodgates and pour into them the way that you and I were able to experience back in the day yeah cuz i think you know if if we could find that 13 14 year old kid like you were and just turn that light bulb on I mean, gosh, the potential is just awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, at the church that I've been working at and helping at um, here in Nashville uh, or in Franklin, um, 
the uh, I, w- one of man, one of us. I got a great team, um, but one of the kids that uh, is just that he, you know, came across came across his parents, and his parents were like, "Oh yeah, my son kind of helps out in the school media team." I'm like, "Well, man, tell him to come talk to me. I'd love to meet him." And man, I uh, but man, those kids are there and they're, they're hungry and they're one opportunity and you put them in front of a, something that gives them purpose. Like the more, the, the, the thing I think that it was is that it wasn't, is it was giving them a task and showing them the purpose behind it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because as soon as he grabbed, he got that, it gave so much importance to what it, and it could have been some very elementary task. Yeah. But when you got the bigger picture, this is why what you're doing right now matters and what how it works in the whole chain of things. And he was like, he would do that with, I mean, it, it he, you know, and now he's like one of my right-hand guys. Like literally awesome. he knows audio and he knows video and he knows uh, uh, graphics and he's like, and he's eager and he's like, he knows my cameras. Okay. And he's, and he's like, can, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do? I'm like, yeah. That's and, awesome. And um, yeah. So man, uh, uh, find, find, go to youth groups at the churches, man. Find those kids. Listen to those conversations are all around you. Is that kid? It's that kid that walks by the booth and kind of does that double take inside the booth. Uh huh. Like, re, like, hey, buddy, hey, what's going on? Hey, what, what's your name? Cool. What do you, what do you, you know? Like, like you got to notice the stuff because yeah, most of the time that is at thirteen, it's very hard to find a kid that's going to walk up to you. <laughs> you know, right. but if you, yeah, um, and I know I was that kid. It was it was hard for me to do that, you know, and 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 I think that's why I found a lot of um, identity, especially at that age group, you know, um, and and it set that's me cool. for life, you know. Yeah. Well, and you're right when you when you attach a level of significance to the task, if they understand that it's important, if they understand the why, then they're going to be eager to show up next time because they feel like they're contributing. They feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. They feel like there's, you know, an aspect of helping to lead worship as part of this. And, you know, Hey, this can't happen without me. I mean, that's, that's a really great place to be. So that's a good encouragement. Hey everybody. I wanted to let you know about a great offer from our friends at the church co they build church websites completely for free. They will handle the migration of your existing website over to their platform and can even manage it for you ongoing. The Church Co. is a complete digital platform for churches, including websites, apps, giving, prayer, small groups, SEO, Google advertising, and more. Best of all, it's integrated with all of the major CHMSs like Planning Center and PushPay, to name a couple. If you're interested in upgrading your website and simplifying its management, use our promo code MXU to save 20% on your first three months. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. A few months ago, we had Paul Cox from Capture Collab on the podcast, and we talked about the importance of storing and organizing all of your church's photography. Capture Collab is a tool built specifically for churches to handle this. From capturing to uploading and then tagging, it's the ideal photo storage and sharing system that lets you never lose a photo again. Imagine searching for photos of people in your foyer holding a coffee and your library scoping down directly to photos meeting those specifications. If you're tired of sending out links and searching through folders, use the promo code MXU to save when you sign up for Capture Collab.
Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. So from the radio days, where did that take you? Radio radio days, um, it kind of fast forwarded after that. So I got to radio and then at radio, um, through a <laughs> funny he would know, but I was good at DJing. And the radio station was like, Hey, we're gonna start these Friday night broadcasts, and so you're gonna be the DJ. And so um so I would <laughs> What kind of station was it? Country. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you don't strike me as the country guy. But it no, but it was a, it was a great um I mean, again, one of those things where you just kind of go and you look back at your story and you kind of go, how was I in the middle of that stuff? Because this so that was range, the early days of new country like, you know, okay, Randy well, Travis okay. and all those uh, guys. Uh, well, I'm literally going to about to tell that story because this was KKBQ FM in Houston and they they were the the program director was a guy named Dean Hallam that worked there. And he, I mean, he broke so many artists, Tim McGraw, um, uh, uh, trying to think Terry Clark, uh, Clay Walker, uh, Mark, Mark Chestnut, like so many artists that like he gave, he found and in, in that, in that world. And, and man, that, that um, they were just like local, and smaller regional artists and he said man I, I hear something and and made a path for them to get on you know major country radio station and that station was a billboard magazine station of the year for two years in a row and and i, I wasn't i was i was somehow part of, of that world and um and uh but so i would dj okay well then i was djing for the station but then i was like hey man i could go and make some money as well with djing and so i went out and bought some recording gear or some uh, DJing gear. And I went and bought mm -hmm. speakers and turntables and, you know, whatever, all that stuff. And, and wouldn't you know that the guy I go by, this is where you kind of see God kind of God orchestrating these paths. And you kind of, you can only tell when you tell your story backwards, right? When you go back and right, totally. stuff, and you kind of see that stuff, but like you, the guy that, that was there helping me was a guy that had gone to our church that I was, Kind of, so I would spin records up until two o'clock in the morning. Last call, I would go, um, and by the time I got everything out of club, closed everything. Now it was like three o'clock in the morning. I would drive across town. This is in Houston, and then I would go and fall asleep in my car in the church parking lot because I, we had to be there at six <laughs> o'clock in the morning for a Sunday morning uh, sound check and everything. And then I would run sound at this church, um, and this guy ended up working he worked at the place that sold speakers and all that stuff this company and then he was at the church and he said i recognize you anyways this guy goes on to one day come up to me he says hey i'm leaving the church i got this other job and i want to get your information um okay back then there we didn't have cell phones right so i gave him my uh if you remember jeff my pager number oh uh, absolutely a little beeper and so um well one day it goes off with this number i call this guy and it's him and he's like i got a job at second baptist houston and which is a large church. And then in the nineties, this would have been 93, 94, somewhere in there. Um, this was probably, if it wasn't, it was, it was probably top three largest congregations and oh, yeah. largest churches in America at the time. And massive. And he was uh, working there and he was the main audio guy. And he said, I, I want you to come in and be my, my, my second engineer, my A2 basically. And uh, which meant I did help them on Sundays, but then I mixed like youth services and all that stuff. And then, 
And I came in, and I, that started Second Baptist Houston. And six months, six to eight months later, he comes to me and he says, "Hey, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm resigning, and uh, uh, and I'm going to tell him that you need to be the the guy." And so here I am at 24 years old, and wow. I'm, in, I'm in the director of audio at Second Baptist Houston, um, and that was that. I mean, that's the that was a big leap in life because. The console there was an Amic recall, you know, large format. Yeah. The console, the level of mics that I had, what was the sources that were coming at me? It might have been a probably a 50 piece orchestra with like, you know, three, 200 voice choir, two, 300 voice choir. Um, I would have a, the, the Amic recall in front of me, and then I would have on the side, I would have another 32, 40 channel. Other cons, I think it was like a Mackie 8 bus or something like that. Like it was yeah. stuff mixing orchestras. And I mean, and you got to remember, I'm 24 years old and falling into this. And, and everything was big. The, the 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 Christmas deal, the 4th of July stuff, the Easter stuff, everything was just humongous. And 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 I was I was the guy in charge, you know, there at that time. And and time talking about learning by trial by fire, because it was figuring out. And you know what? Back then there wasn't. First of all, there wasn't social media and there wasn't the communication with other churches that is now. And so it wasn't like we would call, hey, what are you guys doing over there? Like, you know, I didn't even know about like other places like a Willow Creek or something like that. That was like another big church in the area, you know. I mean, I remember when we, the first time that they were saying, hey, we're going to do another campus. We're going to move. We're going to do another church. Like they were like one of the early on it came up with that phrase one church two locations or something like that and it was like yeah. we're moving, we're going to build a campus out west and and i remember early on like okay well who else is doing this you know well saddleback was doing like within their property they were doing these multiple little venues within their property but it's not across the city okay uh jeff i don't know were you at north point back then yeah yeah back in the early days of north point so yeah. back then i think you guys were doing the Worship center back to back, right? So North Point, uh, the building was built um, in about ninety seven, ninety eight, and very quickly because of the growth, they had to figure out how to how to get more people in the room. You know, the yeah. auditorium was twenty three hundred seats, but it was, you know, there was a limit, and so basically they had a a common backstage where the amp room was, and then okay. they expanded the building out to build a mirror auditorium on the backside. So basically they just blew out the back of the building and built a second auditorium that was kind of a mirror of the, of the first. Okay. Yeah, and you were, was, you were there back in the mid nineties. Oh Gosh, yeah. Gosh, man. I wonder if you and I even talked on the phone back then. I don't even know, but I remember there was a, we knew, we knew about North point having done that, but again, there wasn't a church that we knew of that would say, Hey, we're going to go to a whole nother location and still call right. it well and be, be, and be like this multi-campus. Like there wasn't, stuff i mean lakewood was wasn't what lakewood is now like you know they were a smaller church back then you know and there was um um charles stanley's church right for first baptist atlanta it was like okay harold here we go and how do you do multi-campus and 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 send and try to send videotapes and sync that kind of stuff back and forth and over modems and and oh my gosh trying to figure that stuff but <laughs> and i was 24 25 i think at that time and and we were trying to you know early days of trying to figure that out and 
and it was exciting. And and man, um, along the way, I met a band or a band that came out of that church that was forming that formed inside of uh, uh, Second Baptist, and they were the the kind of the youth uh, college band, and it was a band called Cadence Call. And oh that was, man, now you're talking. Uh, that was mid, and we actually came. I think we played at North Point. Uh, there was a was it a Thursday night service? Tuesday thir- night. Tuesday night service. Seven twenty two. That's what it is. That's what it is. And and then why I remember it is because we were actually playing at a at some church down the street or some venue down the street, and they said, "Okay, we're going to go sound check," and then we're going to go and and surprise everybody at seven twenty two. And I think who was the preacher? Was it Louis? Louis Giglio, yeah. Louis, yeah. And he has he has a long history back with Cademans. And so knew him back then in the early, early, I mean, even before it was passion. Um, and we came in and we played and surprised everybody. And it was just like, you know, okay, and then now go back and literally <laughs> play and leave and go go do a show down the street at a theater or somewhere. Else. So uh, but we um we started um we started uh, with that band, and again, we were young and trying to figure it out. We're all the same age and trying to figure that out and start touring. And their first record, national record, blew up, and and um, so it catapulted them to like bigger stages and bigger venues and bigger things. And we were all young and figuring that out. And and because of that, then I got involved with other bands as well. At the same time, um, I did a long stint with so a long stint with. Cadence Call. In fact, we just did. I just did the 25th anniversary reunion shows with them. That's awesome. Um, uh, long history with Phillips, Craig, and Dean in their in their big days uh, um, when they were touring. Um, I had a long history with uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir when we would do the huge arena and stadium shows. Uh, um, gosh, and uh, so many bands, so many bands that 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 I just. Yeah, I'm grateful for all those relationships and still call them all friends and love to sit and chat with them. And and now, man, the the time I got to spend with that, you know, uh, it was funny. I toured for a long time. I kind of had two stints in, storing, in touring. It was like 90-something to like mid-2000s. And then I kind of said, okay, that's it. I'm, I think I'm done touring, you know, family and all that. So. And I made this like, okay, I'm done. And I went to go work for a large church in Houston, uh, North Houston. Uh, back then it was called uh, Fellowship of the Woodlands. Now it's called Woodlands Church. It's a big yep. 4,000, 4,400. big church. Yeah, or auditorium. And um, and I, I spent many years there and director of audio again and a lot of technical stuff. And um, had a great stint there and then kind of got the bug again and well actually i left and i went and i said you know what i'm I'm going to uh, build a recording studio <laughs> i don't know why but i had the <laughs> opportunity to uh actually design and build and uh and uh, integrate and everything a recording studio uh that's still that's still working today and making great music um uh but i i kind of uh sold everything off of that uh, to another person but um and um, so went back to studios and spent years there making records and and kind of wanting that to be like okay I think I'm gonna that's gonna be my swan song and then you know I mean I think it's people people keep that, calling that you know I'm I'm you know here's my path and the Lord says no I think I'm gonna you're gonna go this way or you're gonna do this and and I get a call from um, 
uh, work. Well, yeah, I ended up getting a phone call through a bunch of different relationships from the Stephen Curtis Chapman camp. And, and that was, well, first, right before that, I was already starting to come back to Nashville and work with uh, Andrew Peterson and do the Behold the Lamb of God tour, which that was 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. And then, and yeah. then, and then 2010 or 11, 2010, I get a call from Stephen Curtis Chapman's camp and, hey, we need a front of house guy. Why? I'm in Houston. I don't know, but it, it, I, I, of course, it, yes, or yes, of course, the answer is yes, and and that began uh, nine, ten years of being on the road with, I mean, an incredible, incredible human being, and uh, and man, still, still go out and do stuff. I got in two weeks, kind of go out and do another set of runs with him and the band, and man, uh, awesome. Stephen, uh, man, I've gotten to uh, currently been doing spending some time with Matt Marr and going out with him and another beautiful human being and um uh gosh i mean it's just it, it I, i've been for i mean jeff I, I think like you man we we've been fortunate man the yeah the, the, the artists that have that have been on the stage when we've been on the faders and, and i just love that we've had some part of some role in helping amplify those voices and help those messages and 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 whatever whatever god has put on them to, to, to say, and that we've been the ones, at least they gotten the call to, to bring that fader up, you know? Absolutely. So for those of you who haven't seen and heard the Andrew Peterson, Behold the Lamb of God tour, you got, I don't know, a few months from now, it's going to be rolling again and you got to go. It's one of the best musical experiences of the holiday season, I can imagine. And, uh, Harold's, Harold's behind the desk and tour managing, production managing, mixing for that every year. And you got to go see it. In 2014, uh, they were, you know, Harold was gearing up to go and do that. And Stephen was getting ready to do a Christmas tour as well. So Harold was not available for Stephen. So I had the privilege of getting the call uh, to fill in for Harold for that run. And I got to tell you, you talk about, you talk about a gem of a human who is, Mm -hmm. Such a pleasure to be around and a, an honor to work for. Man, my times that I've been out with Steven have just been some of the best. Like he yeah. is just, he is just awesome. So I'm I'm with you. Like the the sense of gratitude and the sense of just humility that gosh, I get to help kind of facilitate these moments live. Yeah. It's just, it's a joy. That's part of what makes it hard to say, okay, I'm coming off the road because when you get those calls, it's like, yeah, but I want to be able to be a part of this because it's so exciting and the the way it touches people and you know to be to be the person who's responsible for kind of translating what's happening on stage through the speakers. It's like, man, you mentioned earlier, it's like you got the bug. It is a bug. It's it's almost yeah. like a drug at times to go, okay, I get to I get to help facilitate this environment for people. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. When, when I think when the, uh, the, the, I think you know me well enough, Jeff. I, I, I would. It's not coming. It, it, it's a. I think. I think there's a heart issue there. There's a technical aspect to what we do, right? Totally. And then there's a relational heart connection that um, I think if we get that right, um, it makes the. If if your drive 
I think, let me say it this way. If you're a drive, I think, in at least in church production or, or in the world of that we live in, is the technical side. I don't, I don't know that it's ever going to get there. Fulfilled, you're going to be fulfilled. Yeah, I think I agree. when you get the, I, Jeff, I, I mean, I, I have to say this to you. Um, you told a story. I can't remember the context of when, I, where I heard it. Um, I don't know if it was on a podcast. I've heard you tell the story a couple of times, and I've heard other people tell the story too that you said. But, um, but it hit me because I identified with it so so much. And it, you you tell the story of, um, and I and forgive me if I didn't give you. I, I know that I've given you credit every time I I, I get to tell <laughs> the story. So I, I, it's definitely you. But um, it's the story that you tell that you said you were you were. Uh, I think you were working with Chris uh, Tomlin, and you were. Um, behind the desk and you're watching people file in and you, um, you know, uh, you identified, I think it was a, and I'm paraphrasing this so you can kind of clear this up as you go. But, but but the point is that you saw a gentleman there kind of with his arms crossed and you kind of figured out, assessed that he probably got dragged there. He probably had ended up there as somebody, but he clearly wasn't excited to be there as the partner he was with, right? Kind of the old. Yeah, his wife His wife was a huge K-Love fan or something. There you go, she okay. Dra- she yeah, dragged okay. him to the concert. So, <laughs> but, okay, so, but the thing was that you said in this, in this uh, either interview or the story you were telling, you said that, um, you, uh, I think you said to yourself, okay, what do I have to do um, tonight for this guy to experience what's happening on stage. Yeah. And I love that uh, because um, it, it's such a missional statement. Like if that, it, that is, that is how we, that's how we, we should approach every decision. Like that's the ultimate mission that we're on. Right. Like, um, and that puts everything in perspective, right? Yeah. Like, cause it's at the end of the night, it's, it doesn't really matter how great the snare sounds or right. that reverb tail or that, but if that snare sound and that reverb tail and the vocal and all that fit great together and tells a story tonight that moves this guy in a way that when Chris backs off a mic and says, okay, sing it, how great is our God. And that dude does it. And he's moved to do that. You that's it. That, that's the win. Mission, that's, mission, that's it. mission accomplished. Like, cause you know what? It's the only thing like you submitted yourself to that mission. You submitted yourself to that. And, and, you know, everything that, and if we believe what we claim to believe that I'm going to be placed in a situation and I'm going to be equipped as such for that situation. And you're there for a reason. And that guy's there for a reason. And Jeff, you submit to yourself, Hey, there's some, there's a part I need to play tonight. Yeah. Uh, through my technical skills that I've been gifted with and all this, and I have these skills and I've, sought out to to make better and to train myself and to prepare for this event and all this stuff and sure all the stuff and all culminates of the fact that like my mission tonight is i'm going to do my best and i'm going to do this and if that moves that guy to whatever it is that i do that all of a sudden whatever chris is doing on stage is reaches him and he gets to see and he gets to then gets to say the words how great is our god or whatever it is and yep. singing along and you go you Bro, you you did a whole lot more good in the world that, that night than than just like how good your snare drum sounded. And by the way, it sounds really good. But um. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, I think you know the 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 
I, I love that you brought that up because you and I have had the privilege of working with artists who see the relationship between the stage and front of house as a partnership, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, whether it's, whether it's Steven or Cademan's or Mandisa or Matt, mm -hmm. whoever it is for you, you guys both clearly know that it's a partnership that yeah. you're there to facilitate what they're trying to communicate and that they see you and you see them as this sort of co-laborers in leading worship. Yeah. And I think if if we can if we can get that idea into the local church that the production team is not just twisting knobs and pushing faders. Yeah. But that the production team is in partnership with the stage team to help people take a step toward what God has for them in those moments. I mean, that's yeah. that's the thing that's going to keep people coming back and, and make yeah. the production team the most exciting place to serve is because you've got the opportunity to be used by God in helping people in their faith. It's really, yeah. you know, it, it, it's way more than just a technical endeavor. Yeah. As, as, as important as the technical is, it's like, man, the technical, once you get, once you get muscle memory, once you get it under your fingers, once you understand the technical, it's got to take a back seat to the mission. Well, the, it, it it actually helps to when, when when you it helps place the technical the drive that you have for the technical excellence in the right in the right perspective. Yeah, and and back to back to what we talked about earlier, the why. Like, why do I need to? be better at what I do at my craft or why do I need to continue to look why do I need to continue to make it better or maybe seek better gear or not or actually educate myself more or why all these things so that when these moments arise I you know it gives purpose to what it is that why we're doing this stuff you know yeah and, totally and and whether you're in church or whether you're you know, serving maybe not at a church it's the same thing there's always a, yeah. a, a higher purpose that you know I mean how how um how unfulfilling would it be if you know <laughs> our quest was to be like that the world needs one more great engineer you know? <laughs> right like I don't know that that would be there but if but if that's the vehicle that jeff you're 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 excellent at what you do and if if we believe that that was it for us right that now I'm a great engineer and I get to, you know, go do cool things because I'm a great engineer. I mean, who, yeah. what does that serve? It doesn't serve anything, but if, but if it's pretty you, empty, but if you are a great engineer and those relationships that you form because the audio bring you in different places to different situations, and then you get to be kind and loving and caring and, and you give to others and you love other people well in that you give yourself to a, the higher mission of the day and all the stuff by doing those, all of a sudden, like it takes on a whole different story. Totally. And yeah. I think it makes the, uh, well, you and I have both had our fair share of horrible days on the road, <laughs> right? Whether it's a, a, a horrible experience with a venue manager or uh, bad weather on a festival date or a load in that just gets yeah. complicated and you get stuck with the wrong piece of gear at the right, you know, it's, it's just, there's things that happen, right? Yeah. 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 But this attitude and this perspective makes all those things a lot easier because yeah. at the end of the day, if you can 
be in the middle of the show after a horrible day and you can remind yourself, oh, wait, this is a whole lot bigger than just this circumstance. This is about a lot more than just what happened today. This is, this is missional. You know, it makes it, makes it easier to tolerate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So we got to spend a few minutes talking about a couple of your uh, social posts of late. I think they're kind of related, but it's, it's kind of, it kind of relates to this idea, right? Um, Why don't you, why don't you remind everybody kind of what you were questioning? Cause you, I remember I, I opened Instagram or Facebook a couple weeks ago and there's a picture of Harold and he goes, I've been thinking. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> so what have you been thinking about? Well, okay. I, just to catch everybody up, uh, I think what you're referring to. So uh, uh, a number of weeks ago, um, it, what, what's funny about this stuff is, is honestly, I, I think, I think the, they turn into things and I'm, I really don't, that's not the intent behind them. It's literally just me saying, hey, this has been on my mind and I wonder, and it's usually related to some situation. Um, that I was just in or something I yeah. came across. And so, you know, one of the ones that you're referring to uh, was one that, that, that said, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, I wonder, I wonder how many decent sound systems have been discarded or, or replaced because to the skill level or lack of skill level of the people that are driving it, you know, and then, yeah. And then I said, on the flip side, I wonder how many great people have been discarded because of an inferior sound system, you know, and, uh, and man, that opened up a, that struck a hornet's nest. And what's funny about these posts is that it, it you know, I usually post them on Facebook or, or Instagram and it, just cause it shares. And, but then like, and people, re, you know, reply, you know, and people will do emojis or whatever else. Great. Okay. But what you guys don't see is the number of, uh, probably twice as many, um, DMs and, and text messages that I'll get are people that won't post on social media, but will try to communicate with me either on DMs or on that. And those are usually a lot more colorful than, yeah. uh, than what's on social media. And then there was another post that I did a few weeks before that, that was something about like um, it. I, I think the question was how paraphrasing it, but it's how much of the responsibility to make the performance. And I, I, I think on that one, it was, I, I had the word performance uh, was in quotes to kind of bring emphasis to it, but how much of the idea of the responsibility to, um, to make the performance better rest on the engineer or the mixer, yeah. uh, you know, and the idea behind it um, was, you know, I just had been in a season where, uh, either conversations or things I've read or um, maybe situation I was in where um, maybe the performance on stage wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. And somehow it was, you know, I either I felt or like I said, some of these are my experiences. Some of these are also conversations, but that, that the responsibility to try to, up the, that performance was, you know, was up to me, you know, to make it better. Or maybe I just took that on, you know, myself and just like, Hey man, if I hit bypass on this, it's going to be, it's going to sound way different you know, <laughs> kind of deal. And so, um, this mute button is here for a reason. Well, there's that. And, so, <laughs> and that, and that again, opened up a whole nother thing. And, um, I think what was interesting about that one is, um, 
I loved your answer on that. I think you posted something on that on that first post, and it was something about like, hey, if if there's something I can do about it, I'm, I need to do. I want to do something about it. I want to make, you know, and that kind of you know spoke to what you said earlier, being a co-creator with whoever's on stage, and there's that trust yeah. factor. I mean, I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, an artist being on stage and um, knowing that, hey, man, there's somebody out there fighting for this. There's some or somebody out there that wants to fight with me and make this the best it can be, you know, and what, what that does to the artist, you know? Um, yeah, so there great. was a number of posts that were like that, but then there was <laughs> other ones that were like, Oh man, screw that man. Uh, turd in, turd out, you know, like uh, you can't polish a turd. And there was these guys. And what, what was interesting is that, you know, when, when you went to in a lot of these people, I don't, I don't know, but I would click on some, some of the more colorful posts and, and, you, some of the people that had the, the those answers that were like, "Hey, man, um, I need to, I want to try to do whatever's at my disposable uh, disposal to make it better to help out, you know." And, and if there's anything I can do, then then um, those people tended to have like they, they were in a great position on, in, in the industry, you know. They were they were in, in these roles that were like either working for an artist or 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 they were working, you know, at higher level events kind of deal and and. Yeah. And you could tell that some of the people that, that, you know, and this is not general, uh, but it was just like the people that were just like, oh, screw that, man, uh, tended to have like lesser roles, lesser positions. Yeah. And, and maybe, um, maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know. You know I think and, there uh, might be. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there probably is. Well, I think, you know, it goes back to, it goes back to the why, right? It's like what, what some of these guys may not understand is that, whether it's the worship leader or the drummer or whoever that might be struggling, you know, we don't know what their ear mix is like. We don't know what they're actually hearing. You know, we're the only ones, the front of house engineer is the only one who actually hears everything that's happening in the right mm -hmm. context, you know, because they may have a ton of talkbacks. They may have a ton of click. They may have, too much of themselves or not enough of whatever in their ears. And they're, if they're struggling, it's like, man, I've got to, I owe it to them as a way to honor their effort. I owe it to the audience. I owe it to, especially in a church context, like I owe it to the ministry to make this thing the best it can possibly be. And if For that sure. means, if that means that we're going to use auto tune, if that means that we're going to maybe mute, the second acoustic because they're having a struggle with with their sense of time or if it means that we're gonna maybe turn some things down or balance some things in the tracks or whatever it's like that's it's obvious that that's our role and i think everybody would agree that that's that that's what we should do but at the yeah. end of the day i think it's also important to be able to have relationship enough that you can have an honest conversation after the fact to go hey i noticed i noticed that you were struggling today with pitch is there anything i can do to help yeah help you hear better you know is do you have a cold is there something going on like what help me understand so that we can work together to make this better yeah you know and that at the end of the day that kind of partnership is essential there was another um position group of people that answered that um man i that really got me um and, and this is kind of where you kind of have to read beyond the post and you kind of look a little bit into, you click open that profile and you kind of, oh, okay, well, this is a guy that serves 
at a local church and, you know, small church. And, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to tackle this same issue. And, Mm -hmm. and so you have a, a guy that's really experienced. We'll put ourselves in that, in that, in that category, you know, but then there's a guy that's like kind of grumpy and old and, you know, it might be like, ah, screw that, you know, kind of the old, you can't polish a turd kind of guy, you know, and you have that attitude, you know, and then, and then somewhere in the middle, which, man, Jeff, I, I, you guys might know these stats, but I would venture to say there's probably more of those people of this category than there are of of the the the, the you and I's and Lees and Corey's and all that stuff that are up here very experienced and well trained have access to stuff. And then there's mm-hmm. you know, the but like there's probably a bigger in the demographics of of this of these people that are just like man have a sweetheart they want to volunteer they they volunteer they're they're, you know, they're not, this is not their profession by, there's not their career. They just have a great heart and they serve in the, in the audio team or they serve in the tech team. And maybe it's like just themselves, you know, kind of deal in there. And you have an issue like this. It's like, what's their responsibility or how much responsibility is put on them? Like, I would say this, if that responsibility is put on me and put on you, um, we kind of ask for it in a way. I mean, that's like through our training and experience, like we, we, right. we need to be able to know that stuff like tuning and we need to be able to, you know, okay. Uh, compression and verb and how can we help out with effects and all that stuff. But now you have a guy that's maybe a accountant by day and, and he has a great heart and, and willing and his family serves together and his kids are in church and it's a small hundred something seat church and whatever small PA and, how does he tackle that issue? What is it? What right. is his role in making that performance better? You know what I'm saying? And and I think I think I'm more leaning towards that guy. And I feel you know like because at the end of the day, think about this. It might be unfair, but that same responsibility that's put on you and me, it might be on him too. And, and you know, and like and and the standard that like oh, what's a tuned vocal sound like, or what's a compressed vocal sound like, and what's this, and how does that help the overall performance? gets put on him and he has no clue how to yeah. nor the tools to accomplish that, you know, and how do we, how do we come alongside that guy and build that guy up and, you know, yeah. and, and that's a massive deal. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, those, those churches and those situations are by far the majority yeah. of, of churches, you know? And so I think that's a big reason why we created tools like what's in MXU, you know, not just the training videos. Those are really important. But also the tools for just the community part and the leadership development part and being able to kind of walk people through a a process in their development so that they're not just sort of hunting and pecking through random videos, but there's a strategy around development. Um, But I think, you know, for those for those people, if if any of those people are listening, I would say, you know, maybe you have some good advice, too, but I would say a couple of things. One would be, you know listen to a lot of great music like try to try to develop a sensibility for what a balanced mix should sound like like can i hear every instrument what are they like how what are you listening to would be my first my first thing if you're an accountant by day and a church volunteer on the weekends like what are you doing on your own to kind of develop sort of a library of sounds in your head yeah. You can go, okay, that snare drum sounds really good. What, why does ours not sound that way? Maybe you don't know the answer, but at least to be able to clarify that there's a difference is a huge thing. Um, what, 
what would you say are some other like tips to go, Gosh. okay, here's a good way for somebody to get better? Yeah. Um, uh, listening, well, listening, um, with intent. And I would say why, okay. So like, it, I think, you know, one of the things is like, when you say listening, okay, what are we actually listening to? You know, and you say, well, I, I love the way this voice sounds. Does it sound, does my voice sound like that? And then, and then you understand why it doesn't sound like this, you know, cause what can I do to make that better? And then maybe start going down that path of what needs to happen. But what's difficult about that um, is there's a whole level of understanding of all the dynamics that are playing out unbeknownst to this person for the reason that that vocal doesn't sound like they're the great recordings that, you know, or or let's say they go to an MXU uh, tour stop, which I, you know, you guys just announced, right? Or uh, yeah, we're going to be in Atlanta in September. Oh, awesome! But like, he goes to one of these things because he wants to get better, and all of a sudden, you know, these tracks come up, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know, this just sounds phenomenal." And they do this and do that, and then all of a sudden, they go, "My dear, well, my vocal doesn't sound like that," you know. And what <laughs> what what happens, you know? And it's like, and and I think trying to understand, um, it. You know, try, and I think that's maybe where some of the videos that are coming out, like even some of the basic videos like Gain Structure and some of these very early on videos that, that may seem elementary, you know, like everybody wants to know how to mix. And it's like, that's great, you know, but it's like, let's start at the beginning and let's get some of these elementary things down. And, yeah. and you know, but I I don't know that I'm answering the question. I, I know it's a difficult thing, but I would say this, I think at that point, the best thing to do would be to, uh, I w- man, I think, uh, I think it would be maybe bring somebody in to give you a different perspective of what's happening. Because if 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 you've reached your level of like, I just don't understand how to make it. Then 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 bring somebody in to listen in your environment. Because I think that there's things that are being played out. Especially, it's a lot. It's really hard to mix in small churches. It is because yeah. what we what we listen to is these great recordings of these live records, and we listen to this, and you know we 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 tell them to listen to reference tracks, and if you know this is what you should sound like, and then all of a sudden your vocal comes up, and it's like, what's happening here? You know why is it so like the starting the difference between what I'm starting with is so great, and it's like how do I get it to a manageable place? And it's like, but there's all these forces, you know, which was kind of like why I posted the second post, um, or I said it relates more to that second post, which was, you know, okay, how many, how many systems have been replaced because of the people or the lack of skill set of the people driving it? And then how many great people have been discarded because of the inferior sound system? Um, it, and what I mean by that is that I was, I got brought into a situation, um, and I've been, I, I don't know why, but I've been in this situation quite a bit where I get brought in um, by a church or by a leadership team or maybe even by the tech team um, to assess a situation. And sometimes it's like, hey, can you come listen to our system and kind of, you know, more consulting type deal? Or sometimes it's, hey, come work with our worship team, you know. And, and um, one of the questions I ask before this takes place, it's like, hey, does does the pastor or does the leadership team know that I'm coming in? And then, and then vice versa, if it's the leadership team that's bringing me, it's like, hey, does your tech team know that I'm that you're bringing me in? You know, because um, the last thing I want to be is I want to be in a position where I'm being played against 
somebody, you know, like we're right, trying to right. figure out wrong kind of deal. And that, that I do not want to, and I make sure that situation gets cleared up. But back to the situation where I got brought in, everybody knew I was coming. Everybody's excited. And the tech team guys knew me and uh, or knew of me. And then the leadership team is a guy that I, he was an executive pastor and I've known for several years. He's like, can you help us figure what's going on? And the situation was this. And here's where you see this post being played out. And the situation was that they kept having these issues in the worship center. And, and they just, it would manifest itself in different different areas. But it was like feedback and it would be like not, not a lot of, uh, the, the threshold of game before feedback was, was, was very low. And so, and so the service didn't, it wasn't very dynamic and they, you know, and so, um, and they would just struggle through all this stuff. And every time they would want to do something, the worship leader would want to do something, the, the, the work, the tech team, um, and by the way, I, let me, let me disclaimer this way. I know they're going to listen to this because they do <laughs> We've had this conversation on both sides, and it's it's a great re- great relationship there. So we've already had this discussion, but um, and I and I kind of checked with them, told them that I was gonna kind of mention this stuff. But the point being that it was um, so the, on the leadership side, there was this thing. Hey, man, um, this this keeps happening to this. And at one point, the executive pastor said to me, um, "Hey, do." It just makes sure. Do they know what they're doing back there? Like, do they, uh, you know, really understand the gear? Do they understand like what what's happening, what's going on? Um, and so the the situation had kind of gotten to a place where there was maybe that question starting to creep in. You know, like, hey, what what exactly? Why can't we get through this? Why can't we fix this stuff? What's happening? You know, why can't we do what we're wanting to do? Um, and then when I go talk to the tech team, uh, we go through a few things and. And um, the first thing that they mentioned was like, oh, yeah, I mean, this PA is, this, you know, it's this old and we just need to get a new PA. And if we got a bid already and, and you know, we already got a, had a, a guy come out and give us a bid. And, and you know, and I was like, did y'all present this already? He's like, no, no we're waiting to get the everything finalized. And then we're going to present it to the leadership team to see if that's a possibility. But we got to get rid of the sound system. And that was the thing. It was the sound system's problem, you know. Mm. And I was, and, and, and quite honestly, Jeff is it, a PA. It's, it was older, but it wasn't anything that we, if we walked up to it, it wouldn't, it, we would be like, okay, it was JBL Vertec, uh, 80 columns of 87s with some 86s on the sides. And I mean, it's just fine. It's fine. We would have been like, okay, we can do it. It had plenty of horsepower, you know, kind of deal. It's fine. And the thing was that after, so I started listening to it and I was like, okay, it's sounds fine here at the booth and the minute I moved out of the booth there were some things that like uh, where sh- it the consistency like everywhere in the room was just horrible like on the vertical plane as, as well as on the horizontal plane there was shifting of frequency response and just didn't sound even anywhere and I was like what is happening and so I was like let me listen to it. and I started turning things off and started getting and the problem okay so I finally figured out and and I said, let me go get my computer and let me just see what's happening. And, and so out of the, I don't know how many cabinets, and there was two drivers that were out, which that wasn't the real issue. The real issue was that part of the PA at different spots was out of phase. Mm. It had been wired out of phase. Just wired wrong. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I like, we discovered, I was like, Hey, who integrated this? You know, but yeah, well, that's so many years ago. And then this person came in to do this and these ants got replaced. And the, so it was a long history of 
fix this. And so we couldn't really track it down. But the point is that there was these forces that were being played out that was happening. And the audio guys just, you know, didn't have that extra know-how or that extra skill set to know that that was happening, to be able to identify it, to, to, and so what they knew how to do was just kind of deal with it, you know? And so, but, and so if they would EQ something at front of house, then it sounded different somewhere else. And it was causing some issues on stage with stuff folding back from the PA on stage and all kinds of things. And, Mm. and so then it raised all these questions. Well, the PA has got to be bad and we've got to, you know, so here is probably the church was going to launch into this, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to replace a PA, which probably a tech call for a few hundred dollars or a day rate or something like that would have fixed it. I already told them how to fix it. I was like, well, this is bad. I'll flip it here at the amps, but you guys need to go in. Because actually the problem was when it got wired up, but the the cables on the amps were fine, but the at the speaker, it was probably reversed, you know. So the mm-hmm. NL4, the NLA got, got wired wrong. And so, but... So I kind of I fixed it and then retuned the rig and and it was tons better and it's more even and all that stuff. But for years they've been dealing with these problems and nobody knew what it was. And the, and the great, incredible communication from the stage and leadership and 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 everything. And but there was these there was these problems that were happening and and uh, and again it was like. The system was about to get discarded, and it wasn't a bad sound system, but it was going to send the church into this massive campaign to try to raise these money to replace the system, which they had no business doing it because they could have been spending money somewhere else. And then and then there was this question starting to arise whether the tech people knew what they were doing because they were always having these issues with feedback and all this stuff. And, this, and again – who's at fault here and what's, what's the right path, mm. you know, what happened. And, 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 and that's kind of what was the post on that, you know, so I, I just wondered, you know, cause the tragedy thing, what if somebody would have been let go or somebody had been fired because that, you know, well, you don't know what you're doing. That's not the truth, you know? And so we kind of talked that out and figured it out. And wow. it was a great, a great learning moment for both of them, you know, and, and it gave them a new path, you know, and at least we got the PA fixed and they didn't have to go spend all this money, you know, and that they didn't have in the first place, you know. So um, anyway, yeah, that's a huge that's a huge lesson. I mean, I think there's a lot to be taken from that because I think that that kind of situation happens all the time. So it's like, how do we how do we maintain open and honest lines of communication? How do we maybe as the tech team admit what we don't know, admit yeah. when we need help? You know, and really kind of use that. The first line of defense is maybe, okay, who do we know that we could bring in to help us figure out what's going on? Because the problem is, you know, when both sides make assumptions, that's when people get in trouble. So it's like, okay, let's not assume. Let's just let's just bring in somebody who knows. Yeah. How do you identify that line of that you don't know what the problem is? Like. Hey, I'm not sure what's happening here. Who, you know, and like, yeah. there, there, there's a that's that's a that's a big moment. That's a big moment, and that's got there's got to be trust. Like, I mean, I couldn't imagine a a, a a tech team or a tech director or something like that, and you know, having to get to a place where he admits to the leadership, I don't know what the problem is, and I need I need help here. You know, that's that's a big mature moment. You know, and willing to go there, and 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 is their relationship safe enough that you know, that, 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 that there's not wary of being let go or I have to have the answers. I'm the guy in charge here. How am I going to be viewed yeah. if I don't know the answer? You know, and, the, 
And then being able to bring in somebody who's not biased and the answer is, oh, we just need a new, a new, new sound system. Maybe it's just fixing the one you have and, and yeah. maximizing that, you know? And, and sometimes it could be that you do need a new sound system. You know, you've oh, outgrown absolutely. the one that you have or, but, absolutely. you know, just to assume that that's going to fix every problem is, is where it gets dangerous. Yes. But I think having, having the humility and trust and level of, you know, honor from both sides to go, Hey, I'm, I'm at the end of my skill set here. You know, I'm, I hope that, you know, I've tried to serve this ministry in good faith and we've done a great job, but man, there's something here that I just, it's beyond my, my scope. And so we need some help. I think leadership is going to, leadership is going to honor that. They're going to yeah. go, you know what? That's, that's, a, that's a big move. That's, yeah. that takes a big man to admit that they, don't know everything. And that same attitude is what needs to, I think, going back to our other example of the gentleman that, or lady or whatever that, you know, that's got a great heart in serving in the tech booth. That, and that's, this is not their profession or their drive. They're just a willing heart, but they're wanting to get a better result. And that's kind of, I think that's the thing of like saying, Hey, I, I don't, I don't know that I can know how to get it any better. And there's these things that I just don't understand. And, and to being able to reach out and either, to bring somebody into your environment and say, what, what are we doing here? You know, on a yeah. more private deal um, or, or definitely reach out and do the tools that you, many of those tools that you guys provide the videos and the, and the tours and the, you know, the stuff you guys do at HQ and all that stuff. That's uh, valuable. The way you guys serve this community. Well, there's people like you too, that people can reach out to. So in that regard, what's the best way for people to connect with you? If they go, you know what? I'd love Harold to come and, Listen to RPA and tell us what we're doing wrong. <laughs> oh gosh, man. Um, well, socials for sure. H uh, at, at Harold Rubens, either Facebook or Instagram. I really don't do Snap or Twitter or what's the new one? Thread that's coming out. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I, 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 just, I don't. I don't know that. So I don't need uh, another one. I'm, I'm exactly. Exactly. It. Yeah. Uh, and then just a normal, normal email. H Rubens audio at gmail.com. That's it. Uh, that's probably awesome. the best, you know. But um, yeah, man, I'm, I I love what you guys do, and anytime that you know I've said it to you guys, you know, be part of that, or anybody wants to reach out, I'm I'd love to help and be part of the, you know, awesome. solution. Well, yeah. I feel like I could sit here and talk to you all day, but I don't want to take any more of your time because we've been here for over an hour, so it's been a oh great conversation. Gosh. I love, I love hearing the stories, and I love just you and your heart for the church and your heart for the artists that you work with and um you know that argentinian passion just comes out in everything you do so <laughs> we got a great next few years with soccer football that's here awesome. in the united states man i love it so yeah that's cool well harold it's been an honor to have you and uh we'll have to do it again i'd love to continue the conversation absolutely all right awesome Peace. thanks bro take care